Guys, good morning and welcome to the absolute best day of the calendar year. Today is a day that is better than your birthday and Christmas rolled into one who mightily embraced the extra hour this morning. All right? Give it up for reverting back, right? Now, I, I need to ask, because I know there's probably at least a few of you who are deeply brokenhearted like you slept through Christmas. Um, did anyone, like, forget and you got up and it's like, oh, what did I lose? Yeah. Next year, brother. Next year, it comes around again. For these last few weeks, we've been looking at these why questions, specifically why questions that God asks us. Got good news for you. Now it's our turn. Now we get to start looking at some of the questions that we see the people of the Bible, I think so resonating with the, the things that are in our heart as well, asking God asking God as well. And, and, and I find that these, these why questions, uh, people have asked them from the beginning. Some people have spent their life pondering these why questions. Sometimes a certain why question I find will lead someone closer to God, while the exact same why question might lead someone away from God. And I don't think that happens in any arena more than those questions that evolve around suffering. Those why questions that revolve around evil in the world or misfortune or whatever you want to call it. In these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at those in particular. Those why questions that people ask when they find themselves in a place of suffering or standing face to face with things they see as evil in this world. And I think what we're going to find is that these questions aren't new, but they echo back into the biblical record themselves. The people of the Bible wrestled with God long before we even thought to ask them. And today, we're just simply going to start with what I think is maybe the most classic of them all. Um, here it is. Why do the wicked prosper and the faithless live at ease? The question you see up here is not just a summary question to kind of capture the ways we ask it. It is actually word for word out of the Bible. From a prophet of God who was called by God to a horrible task and found himself in this place asking this question, God, why do the wicked prosper and the faithless live at ease? Let me read to you from Jeremiah chapter 12. He says this, You are always righteous, O Lord. When I bring a case before you, God, God, you're always righteous. Whenever I bring a case before you, I know you're honest, I know you're true, I know you're a God who, who holds to what is good and holds to what is right. We're getting the sense of this, right? I know you are always righteous. Yet, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You've planted them, and they've taken root. They grow, and they bear fruit. You're always on their lips, but, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, O oh Lord. You see me. You test my thoughts about you. Drag them off. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. 
Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered because those who live in it are wicked? Moreover, they are saying he, meaning God, will not see what happens to us. I got to tell you, that line out of there, drag them off to be butchered? What I love about the Bible is it seems to, 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 to reflect people who have the guts to say what they feel. You found yourself in this place like Jeremiah. Found yourself in this place going, God, I've been doing it right. I've been, I've been doing it right. I've been doing the heavy lifting. I have been sacrificing myself. And that chump over there, why, why, why is he prospering, God? Why is his life such a life of ease? Now, the context of this entire passage is fascinating, but I think you get the point. And what's interesting to me is that actually in this case, God answers. Let me share this with you. God says this, right on the heels. He goes, you know, Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? Because that certainly clears it all up, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, just like, seriously? This, this is your answer, God? If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Oh, okay, that, that makes sense now, right? You, you get what he's getting at here? Jeremiah, if it's bothering you now that these evil men that you see in your presence are prospering and living at ease, despite the fact that you're following me to great cost to yourself, how are you going to bear it when the more wicked come your way with even greater prosperity? You're getting tired running against people on foot. What are you going to do when you're match to match with the evil of horses that are racing you? In other words, Jeremiah, why? Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think that's prosperity of the wicked? Oh, I got a surprise for you, Jeremiah. The prosperity of the wicked goes beyond anything you are struggling with right now. I'm sorry, can we just say, does that suck? <laughs> but he goes on. Your brothers, your own family, even they have betrayed you. I know, Jeremiah, they have raised a loud cry against you, so don't trust them, though they speak well of you. But know this, I will forsake my house, abandon my inheritance, I will give the one I love into the hands of her enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She roars at me, and therefore I hate her. Has not my inheritance become to me like a speckled bird of prey that other birds of prey surround and attack? Go and gather all the wild breeds, bring them to devour. And he goes on and on about the judgment that will come. How can I sum this up? 
Well, I think I'd put it this way. Why do the wicked prosper and the faithless live at ease? Well, Jeremiah, I have a plan. And there will be a reckoning. But I want to approach this from a different perspective as well. A different answer that you'll see come out of the context if you were to keep reading and echo through Jesus and the greater parts of the Bible as to why the wicked prosper and the faithless live at ease. Do you know what the answer the Bible gives? Because God loves them. Yeah, them, the wicked, and the faithless. God loves them. Let me read this to you from Jesus. He says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You getting the meaning? God delights to bless the evil as well as the good. He sends his blessings to the unrighteous as well as the righteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not doing what even the tax collectors do? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's odd to me. Maybe it is to you as well. That that when Jesus talks about this thing called perfection, somehow it seems to be tied to this, this generous spirit of God who loves to bless the wicked. Or how about this, from Romans, from Romans chapter 2. Paul asks, do you, do you who are asking this question, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? Or how about this? Right after this this extended passage where Peter is talking about the judgment day that will come when everyone will have to give an account of their life before God, he says, but do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise As some understand slowness, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why do the wicked prosper and the faithless live at ease? Because God loves them. And he delights in blessing them. And doesn't that just tick you off? See, what I found interesting about God is what a relationship looks like with him. Now, for some of you here, and maybe it's better to say maybe for all of us at some time here, we like to dangle carrots 
in our relationships. You understand what I mean by this? Do you remember like the old image where you got the donkey hooked up to the plow or the donkey hooked up to the grist mill? And how do you keep the donkey walking around, pulling the thing? You tie a stick to him. I think this is Looney Tunes, right? You tie a stick to him that has the carrot hanging in front, tantalizing and tempting him to keep going. And there are some of us here, or maybe put all of us here, at times in our relationships where we like to dangle carrots. Do this. And you'll get that. Treat me this way, and then I'll be nice to you. Do what I want, and then I will give you the favors that you want in return. Now, you know, to some degree, there's a cause and effect in every relationship. And to some degree, there's always going to be consequences for action. But at some fundamental level, what you don't see from God is him dangling carrots in his relationships. He simply comes to people and says, love me for me. Love me for me, not because if you don't love me, I won't bless you. Not because if you do love me, I will. Not because if you don't love me or don't do what I want, I'm going to withhold the good stuff from you. And not because you do do what I want, I'll give it to you. No, God does not dangle relationships because God does not want to be a means to an end. He wants to be the end. It's like he sits there and he says, love me for me. Seek me for me. At some level, that has to be enough. Despite what blessings you may or may not receive. And it strikes me that those of us who dangle the carrots in our relationships are probably far poorer than we think despite whatever material blessings or things there might be. Which to me rephrases the question just a little bit. And I want to ask this in relation to that. Why do you care? Why do the wicked prosper and the faithless live at ease? Ask yourself this morning, Why do you care? Are God's blessings so scant that if he blesses them, he can't bless you? Is God's time and focus so limited that if he pays attention to them, he can't always pay attention to you? Why do you fundamentally care? I think of the... uh, that parable Jesus told of the talents. You remember this one where there's a rich man, he symbolizes God, and he's going to go away on a journey, and he gives this guy over here five talents, and he gives this guy over here two talents, which is just kind of a unit of money of the day. And this guy over here, one talent, he says, hey guys, here's how I'm blessing you. Put it to work. I'm going away. You know what strikes me as interesting about that talent? Two guy never seems to have a gripe with five guy. Two guy, nowhere in this parable, is looking over to five guy going, why did you bless him that way? 
No, he says, you gave me two. Thank you. Thank you. Look, I put it to work, and look what I can give back to you. I think of that parable Jesus tells with those workers in the vineyard, where it says the, the manager goes out in the morning, representing God, symbolizing God in the parable of the day, asking people, will you come work for me? And they come, and they say yes, and they work for him. And he goes out because he needs more workers at midday, and he says, will you come to work for me? And they go, yes, we'll come to work for you, and it happens again in the afternoon and an hour before sunset. And they all line up and they're ready to get paid at the end of the day. And he starts with the people who worked for an hour on the end and he gives them a whole denarius, a whole day's wage. And those who have been out in the sun all day are looking over at that going, man, if he's blessing them that way, what's in it for me? You've read this parable, you know how it goes? He gets to the people that slaved away in the sun all day and he gives them the exact same thing. They were ticked. How can you bless them that way? When we slaved away, we did it right. We earned our day's wage. You know what? You know what Jesus has God say in this? You know. We just don't want to say it, right? Why do you care? Is it my stuff to do with? My blessings to give how I want? If I want to bless them and love on them, let me do it. I love them too. Have I shortchanged you? The real question of this for me, and believe me, I'm in the same boat with you on this. The real question for me is why do I care? It strikes me that Jesus' entire posture, the posture of his entire life flowed out of this. Here is the one who is more righteous than any and yet a peasant. He had more right than anyone to ask the question, why do the the wicked prosper and the faithless live at ease? But he doesn't ask it. You don't see Jesus in Caiaphas' house on the night of his arrest going, man, this is a great house. How come Caiaphas, who's, who's this murdering kind of just guy, why is he getting such a nice house and I had to live and be born in a barn? You don't see it. You don't see Jesus standing before Pilate going, geez, that guy drives a cool car. Why does he get to vacation in Caesarea? How come he's so rich and powerful? You don't see it. You don't see Jesus coming face to face with Zacchaeus on the road going, why is that dude so loaded and not me? Reveals something, doesn't it? Because the entire posture of Jesus' life was about his relationship with his father. Not comparing himself to you. And to me, because Jesus' life was not driven by stuff. It was not about ease, nor the accumulation of things. It strikes me that there is no one more righteous than Jesus, and in fact, it cost him everything. For righteousness, it was all stripped away, and he got a cross instead. 
And I've got a hard but sober warning I've got to share with you today. If you are here because that you think God and following him is somehow going to lead to greater blessings in your life, brace yourself. You may be sorely disappointed because God is not a means to an end or some secret recipe to your prosperity. Come to me for me, God seems to say. And at some level, that has to be enough. And yet what we can see is that with God, all things will be made right in the end. Whatever his plans, whatever his purposes, now all things will be made right in the end. And Jesus was vindicated. He was raised and seated on a throne because of his allegiance to God's way. Why do you care? Why do you care that God loves them so much? Why do you care that the wicked prosper and the faithless live at ease? You know, when I get hung up on this, it's almost like I hear God saying, get over it. Get over it. You're not focusing on the right thing. Not only so, don't just assume that because it looks as though people are prospering and living at ease that they actually are. Don't assume just because they have big bank accounts and nice houses that they're happy. Don't assume just because they spend without a care and put on the good face that, let's face it, we all like to put on, that their life is truly one of ease, that they're at peace inside, peace in their relationships, happy with their family, with kids who actually love them. Remember Jim Carrey? Those of you who are under the age of 20 might not even know the name. But he was the highest paid actor at one point in the 90s, bringing us cinematic masterpieces like Dumb and Dumber. And <laughs> he's got a quote. I just love it. He said this, I wish everyone could be rich and famous. I wish everyone could be rich and famous so that then they could finally see that it doesn't make you happy. God loves you. All of you. The nice people here. And those of you here who are nasty. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> Ticks me off too, but he does. <laughs> He's going to bless you. He's going to pour his blessings on you. Either way. And can I just ask, just because you're blessed here today, 
blessed here in material kinds of ways. Don't assume it's because God is okay with your life. Likewise, those of you here who are broken today, in those physical, material kinds of ways, don't assume it's because God is punishing you. God simply loves people, wicked and righteous alike. And in that love, he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish on that day of reckoning, but to seek him on his own terms. Blessings aside, for who he is, and wherever you might be this morning, I just hope and pray that this helps to reorient you to start viewing him that way. So let's rise. Band, you can come forward. Let's pray. Let's pray about the ways we seek God as a means to an end. Let's pray about the ways we get hung up in comparing ourselves to others. Let's pray about the ways we get angry at him because we think he should be just with them but merciful to me. Let's kind of just root it all out. And I invite you in your own way these next couple of moments, just simply pray. Lord, on behalf of this congregation of people who you have blessed in various ways, hear our struggle, hear our prayer today. I don't know, but maybe this has rooted out some things today that you really need to come clean with God on and, and confess. If so, I'll just invite you to pray this little prayer that we have up on the screen. Pray it together with me today. Confess to God Almighty before all of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. God Almighty, have mercy on me. Forgive me all my sins. Bring me from death to life. I've got good news for you. 
I got good news for you because you don't come in here squeaky clean. You don't come in here righteous. You don't come in here impressing God. You don't come in here with any kind of ground to demand his blessing. But he gives it to you anyway. Because he loves you. Yeah, even you. Loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. And forgives you all the wickedness and faithlessness which should lead you to anything but prosperity and ease. Root yourself in that. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body. It's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took a cup after supper and he gave thanks and he gave it to them. And he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Come and do this in remembrance of me. Welcome, welcome guys to the table of the Lord.